KC Coast. Debbie and I are on an airplane uh, this weekend coming home. Uh, we have had a great vacation in sunny, cool uh, Colorado, a little bit up in the mountains, and uh, we're anxious to get back. And I'm anxious, actually, I'm ready to get back uh, preaching. So uh, we'll be back real soon. Uh, this weekend is a treat. Uh, I, I love introducing you to my friends. And I've got another one here uh, that's, you're going to love Rick Bazette. Everybody loves Rick Bazette. Uh, Rick is a guy that uh, I've had a relationship now uh, for about 10 years. And when Rick decided he wanted to plant a church in uh, the Little Rock, Arkansas area, um, he came to me, we talked about it, and I felt strongly that Seacoast should be involved in that. And so we gave him a little bit of money and a little bit of encouragement and uh, blessed them, and God has blessed their church. It's just incredible. In fact, uh, they're a multi-site church now. Just uh, uh, last year, I believe, uh, they were recognized as the fastest-growing church in America. Uh, incredible. Uh, Rick is a relational guy. He loves people. Uh, everybody needs a friend like Rick, and it's my privilege uh, to introduce to you uh, this weekend at Seacoast, Rick Bazette. Seacoast, would you give him just a huge, huge uh, welcome uh, to the Low Country? That is good. I want to welcome all the campuses and uh, turn to the person next to you and say, You look a lot better than you usually look. Tell them that. And. Uh, it's fun to jab at church, fun to jab at church. I love this church, and uh, actually, Greg, uh, he did not tell the complete truth. He said that your church helped us a little bit. Uh, that is an understatement like crazy. And, uh, you know, when we decided to plant a church, I was incredibly scared. I've never been that intimidated in my life, and, uh, but God started hooking me up with some friends, like, like your pastor, and like this church. And uh, he looked at me, and he said, Rick... Would it help you if Seacoast Church was to guarantee you $150,000 in your church plan? I almost fainted. I couldn't believe uh, that he was offering that. And then some coaching as well. And we came to visit this church. That was uh, 10 years ago. And I want to thank Seacoast Church for what you, you've done. Give yourselves a hand for the way that you love other people. So cool, man. So cool. I like, I like uh, having friends, you know, in ministry. It can be lonely. It depends on the style of ministry that you choose. And uh, nowadays, and I'm excited about it, nowadays people are not doing ministry alone. And I highly recommend that. And uh, because sometimes we make mistakes. Everybody makes mistakes, even you, unless you're perfect. And if you're perfect, then I just want to give you a tip. You're not very much fun to live around. <laughs> and people do not like you much. And, but how many, of you, how many of you make mistakes? Come on, be honest. Don't lie in church. God will kill you in church. And I make a lot of mistakes. One mistake that I called Greg about, it was hilarious, but it was a problem for a while. Uh, my son, when he was young... Uh, he's now 13, so many years ago, when our first year of being in the ministry, uh, he was going around telling everybody that he was the pastor's son. He was doing that to leverage uh, getting extra cookies in children's ministry, and, uh, and it was working for him. And, uh, but my wife found out about it, and she said, Listen, son, that's not the way we roll, man. The BZs don't go around and try to leverage a position. That's not how we do it. Uh, you just tell people you're Tanner, and that's good enough. And he said, Yes, ma'am. 
So the next weekend, a lady went up to him and said, aren't you the pastor's son? And he had a dilemma. He said, well, I thought I was, but my mom said I'm not. (laughs) Oh, my Lord. I said, Greg, I got a problem. I don't know if you can save it. We almost split the church on that deal, man. You can imagine. You can imagine. Uh, But I have made a lot of mistakes. But I'm going to tell you, you got to have friends that will encourage you. Uh, The Scripture says if you confess your sins to God, He'll forgive you. But if you confess your sins one to another, you'll be healed. you got to have friends to encourage you. But the topic for this weekend is to allow God to encourage you. Now, most churches, really, I think it's a shift right now, but a lot of churches, especially the church that I grew up in, there wasn't any encouragement there. I did not know that God loved me growing up. Uh, The people that attended that church, they didn't like the church. Uh, They didn't like each other. Uh, They didn't like my family. No one wanted to be there. I still don't know why why we went there. Uh, My Sunday school teacher hated teaching her class. She especially hated the kids that were in the class. Uh, she, she did not like me more than anyone else. She would always say, hell is hot. She would, her finger was 30 feet long. Was, hot, hot, just like that. And uh, she talked about hell like she was born and raised in hell. <laughs> always talking about it. And, uh, and then she said, don't you want to go to heaven, Bezat? And I said, not if you're going to be there. <laughs> no, no, no. And so we're trying to figure all that out. But, but... There was no sign at all when I was growing up that God loved me. And, uh, man, I couldn't wait until I got to be 18 years of age to leave the place. And uh, But somewhere along the way, I started finding out that God was totally in love with me. In fact, that He was very good at loving people, uh, that He's extremely good at forgiving people. And some of you, do you know there are a lot of people that are running away from God right now because they don't know how good God is at forgiving them? He's really good at it. He paid a huge price to prove it. And, uh, but Christians have lost their way on this. And, and uh, so I want to talk about being encouraging, uh, letting God encourage you, because it doesn't matter where this topic is applied. It's reflected positive or negative. If you're doing it right, it's positive. In marriage, if you are married, I'm going to tell you, if you don't have encouragement flying around in your home, then there's problems there. I know, I know some of you don't want to be married, uh, but the problem is you're married. <laughs> That's why I'm talking about this. And uh, so God, God, in marriage, there needs to be encouragement. Uh, there has to be. When you first get married or when you first fall in love, I know it was like this for Michelle and I. I mean, all we talked about, I even wrote poems to her. And I always just tell her, I love you, baby. And then she would tell me she loved me, and she would blink at me with these beautiful, I love you. And now it felt good to watch, you know. And then, but after years with no encouragement, it's like <laughs> it changes you. I mean, know what I'm talking about. And in the beginning, the guy's just helping her, open the door for her. And after a while, she's lucky to get both feet in the car <laughs> before you take off. And uh, you, you buy her chocolate. Here, baby, this is chocolate. And after years, like you ain't gonna eat more chocolate, or <laughs> you? Y'all know I'm right about that. You start out by picking stuff up for her. And after a while, you know, it's like you're watching TV. She's trying to pick up something heavy. It's like, if you drag it on the other side, it's a lot easier. (laughs) You know, It's just a shift. What causes the shift? No encouragement. 
Negative words flying around in the house. Uh, let me tell you something. When you go to the Word of God, what, what I probably like the most about the Word of God, all campuses listening in, the Bible can read you. It, it doesn't read you, though, to knock you out. It reads you to encourage you. But you think about it. The, the Bible, going back to marriage just for a second, the Bible knows what a man is like and what a woman is like. The Bible tells a man to love his wife, to give his life up for his wife. Uh, the, the Scripture doesn't tell a woman to love her husband. It tells her to respect him because God knows he made men and he knows they need respect. He, he knows that women, uh, you know, they, they have to have love. And, and it, then it bumps it up a whole other level. Uh, it tells a man to love his wife like he loves himself. It doesn't tell a woman to love her husband like she loves herself because women do not tend to love themselves like a man loves himself. A woman can stand in front of the mirror and she could be a 10 and she'll find somewhere else. She'll go, I don't like, I don't like this right here, <laughs> whatever. But a man can be ugly, hair on his back. What's up? You know it's true. So every man, you know, they, they know one verse in the Bible, wives submit to the husbands. <laughs> they put that on the refrigerator and all that. Because we've forgotten about, you know, giving our lives up for her like Christ did for the church. Uh, then women, you know, they get off track. And, you know, when a man gets married, his dad and all of his friends, all the groomsmen, they, they lose that, that mantle or that position of encouragement. I mean, they can still encourage that dude. Uh, but it's been brought over to the wife. That's, that's why the Lord said that a woman must respect her husband, she, she's got to. Man's got to lay down his life for her and she's got to respect him. Well, that's not going to happen if you're not encouraged by God. Your, your marriage will never work if you're not encouraged by God. If you are encouraged by God, everything changes. And you think about the early church in the beginning, uh, and you can tell a lot by God's original design. Uh, the early church is really what He would like for us to have. I mean, they had incredible community, they were on fire. They were excited about their relationship with God. They, they liked each other. And you can see this reflected in Acts chapter 2 and verse 46. It says, Every day they continue to meet together in the temple courts. If you look up that word every day in the Greek, it actually means every day. They were always together. Every day. And then it says, And they broke bread in their homes. And they ate red beans and rice. Come on now. And then together with glad and sincere hearts. Look at this. Praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Of course. They, they were encouraged by God. We can talk about all the things that they did. But they wouldn't have been able to do any of it if they weren't encouraged by God. You'll never have the joy that you need if you're not encouraged by God. I grew up in that church I was telling you about. They would sing about the joy, but they didn't have it. You could tell on their face. We got the joy, joy, joy down in our heart. And we would literally all say, where is down in our heart? Where is down in our heart? And I remember thinking, even as a kid, I've seen joy and it does not look like that. You think about the heroes of the faith, Noah, asked to build a boat. There wasn't a body of water within 500 miles of where he was. Asked to build a boat for decades. How did he do that? God encouraged him, that's all. 
How did Paul go into prison with an attitude like he would have? He would see people like in Philippi who were discouraged and starting to have a negative attitude and he would write them from prison saying, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. How? God was encouraging him. You, you think of Mary who... A virgin birth. She could have easily said, I don't do virgin births. Let me clear that out right now. But God encouraged her to do so. Moses, who went and got the Ten Commandments on top of a mountain and carried them down. But don't you think he read them? Of course he did. And one of them said, Thou shalt not commit murder. Moses was a murderer. You would have thought he would have scratched that one out. But he still came down. Why? Because God encouraged him. So let's look at the text for it this weekend in Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 19. And we're going to try to beef this idea up all the way to the point where I'm hoping uh, that God will change you uh, even while we're here. Look, look at this. Hebrews 10, 19. It says, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence... Everybody say confidence. confidence. To enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus and by a new and living way open for us through the curtain that is His body... And since we have a great priest over the house of God, check this idea out. Let us draw near to God. How? With a sincere heart. And full assurance of faith and having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience. How many people are dealing with that? And having our bodies washed with pure water. So let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. For he who promises faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. And let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. But let us encourage one another. And all the more as we see the day approaching. First thing I feel like that can happen to you if you allow God to encourage you this day. Is the first thing is that it will allow you to approach God with confidence. I worded it this way. It allows confidence in your approach to Him. Uh, the verse that reflects this, although I just read one, but in Hebrews 4.16 it says, Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence. Now everybody look here for a minute. Now I'm a pastor, which doesn't mean a lot, but it does mean that people open up. They will open up to me about things that maybe they won't tell other people. And I am relational. I love people, so I, I like to listen and, and I probe. That's the first thing I tell them when they come into my office if I, if I don't do much counseling anymore. But back in the day, and, and I would say, hey, I'm going to ask some pretty tough questions. If you don't want to answer them, you don't have to. But that's just the way, it's, just, that's the way we're going to roll. And, uh, but a lot of times what will happen is they'll, they'll say, they kind of lean forward and they admit, they go, Rick, I don't really think I'm right with God. Uh, more than that, though, they don't just say it that way. They say, you know, I, I think God is mad at me. What do you mean? Tell me about that. Well, I feel like God has forgiven me. I feel like He loves me. I believe that. But there's one or two things that I've done in my life that I think He holds against me. And I don't think He can ever get over that. Do you know how many people that they are trying to fix their life right now. They're out there somewhere right now trying to fix their life so they can serve God. They think, man, if I can get it all fixed and then I, I can approach God. But there's a major dilemma in that. The Bible says it's almost like crucifying Him all over again. Some of you will get to experience the cross later on, but here's the deal. You cannot fix the mess that you can create on your own. You're going to have to have God in on it. 
So if I was to say, how's your prayer life to the common believer that's probably even here right now and also attends our church, and I was to say, how's it going for you? Uh, How's your prayer life? There's a tendency that you would say, well, it's not really that good because it'll never be good if you don't know that God wants you there, wants you in relationship with Him. If you're not convinced that God is not mad at you and He wants to talk with you, then you're probably never going to have a prayer life that works. It's just not going to work. You're going to think that's the last place you want to be in prayer because God will remind me of all the mistakes that I've made and everything I've done wrong. You know, this whole deal, condemnation and conviction, if I were to ask you to describe the difference in condemnation and, and conviction, you would probably give the same definition. But there is a world of difference in the two. Condemnation is from the enemy, the adversary. And condemnation just tells you all the things that you're doing wrong. If you have an argument with somebody, it says, see how you are? You see how you lost your temper? You see, you, see, you think you're a Christian? You're not, you, see how you are? But conviction, it brings up the same thing. But the Bible says the Spirit of God is the Spirit of comfort and truth. So He brings up the same thing, but He always gives you a way out. The way you spoke to your friend yesterday at 3 o'clock, settle that. Come on, we have a lot to do. That's my son or daughter. Let's, let's get this right. The Holy Spirit gives you a way out where the enemy just kind of leaves you there to die. So as a result, through the years of this pattern... You don't even know if God is for you or against you. And the best reflection of it is in the Bible. I find it very interesting that in the Bible, the the word describes the voice of God as being very soft. In the New Testament, it describes it as a still small voice. In the Old Testament, there are illustrations where his voice was not in the thunder. It wasn't in the earthquake. It wasn't in the wind. It wasn't loud, that it was in the whisper. The reason why God whispers is because you've got to be in close proximity to hear a whisper, which is precisely where he wants you. Uh, In my family, I'm a Cajun. We're loud people. A Cajun is somebody that'll eat anything that lives in a ditch. Anybody like ditch food? (laughs) And we'll eat anything. I don't know why, but we will. uh, But in my family, we're loud. We talk loud. We laugh loud. We eat loud. We do everything loud. But I have one daughter who is a whisperer. Her name is Grace. And so we'll be doing our deal and all of a sudden, great, you'll hear this. And it's like, what is that? You know, we're trying to do life. And then we realize, oh, it's grace. And we all stop what we're doing. And we walk over to her and say, grace, what do you need? And she'll say something like, I just want to say hello. You know, and then we'll go do our our life. Okay, here's what I've learned from it. You got to be close to somebody who whispers. God is huge. He could yell. He could definitely formulate it that way. He's God. But he chose a whisper because he wants you close. You know, you you can see this in so many places in the Bible. I picked one example, actually two people to give one example. It's it's Peter and Judas. Uh, I don't want to go into the story of of both, but let's just assume for a second that you know something about that. But Peter and Judas, one betrayed and one denied God. And, uh, and then Jesus rose from the dead and Judas had committed suicide and Peter had just bailed out. He, he was feeling like a loser, totally discouraged, certainly not encouraged in any way. But Jesus rose from the dead and this is what he said. He said, hey, I want the disciples. He told this lady, go and get the disciples. And as she was going on her way, he said, and, and get Peter too. Well, why did he say that? Because he knew that Peter needed to hear that he was still a disciple. I am convinced 
that if Jesus would have rose from the dead and Judas had not committed suicide, I am convinced that, that Jesus would say, hey, go get the disciples, get Peter and get Judas. God is so good at encouraging us, but many of us were not really close enough to Him to know how much He's into us, how much He loves us. Ephesians 3.12 says, In Him and through faith in Him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. Oh, by the way, there's one particular place where this woman was caught into adultery. She was caught in adultery. And I don't know if you've ever committed adultery. I'm sure the pain of that you know, would be enormous. Well, this woman was caught in adultery and the religious leaders who are not encouragers in the Bible. And Jesus was always frustrated with them. That was not the Jesus style. So they grabbed her and they wanted to expose her and mock her and kill her. They grabbed her and threw her at the feet of Jesus and the law says we get to kill her and stone her. And Jesus said, all right, let's, let's kill her. But let's do it this way. Let's let the one who's without sin throw the first rock. And then he writes in the ground and they started dropping their rocks and they went away. This woman had to have been hurled over knowing this is the last second of my life. This is what happens when you don't have encouragement from God. You you just think it's over when when you're busted, when you make a mistake. But she's hurled over and Jesus goes over to her like only he can. He said, hey woman, where are your accusers? And she looks around, starts breathing again. And he said, and neither do I accuse you. Now go and sin no more. Huge point there. I am convinced that that lady was able to go and sin no more. But it's because she felt forgiven. If Jesus would have looked at her and said, woman, you are a loser. I can't believe you lose. You lucky I saved your life. Now get out of here and sin no more. If he'd have done that, she'd have went right back into it. Because that is without the encouragement of God. The Bible says it's the goodness and the kindness of God that leads people to true repentance. A confidence in your approach to God. Also, a confidence you actually receive in your approach to your dreams. This is huge uh, because it's a bummer, you know. When you're, I love this church because they're, they're dreaming big dreams. Uh, the Lord said, don't say later on in four more months and then you'll consider the harvest. Look at the harvest. It's ripe right now. Uh, this church is always thinking about the hurting always thinking about people that do not know Christ yet, always thinking about those of you that do know Christ and how to make you stronger. I mean, they're dreaming huge dreams. It's why I stay so connected with this church. It's why I study this church and many other churches do as well because the dream is clear. But what a bummer to be in a church with such a huge dream and for you not to have it. You know what also would be a bummer? is to go to heaven and see how big God is and the enormity of uh, the majestic side of Him, how powerful He is, worshiping Him in heaven and going, man, God is amazing. And then for you to think back to now and for you to realize, you know what? I should have went for it more. I should have dreamed bigger dreams. I should have fought for more. I should have gone for it more. Jesus loves to hear our dreams, but some of us, our best dreams are behind us. And I call it backwards vision. Sort of like my wife, the way she drives a car. If you ever get in her car, her rear view mirror, you can literally see your feet in her rear view mirror. They're not aiming right. And one day I said, babe, you ought to aim them right. 
And she said, I don't need the mirrors. I'm not going that way. I'm going that way. I said, babe, that's a bad driving plan. But it is a great kingdom plan. Some of you, you have clear vision behind you, things you have done, things you did not do, behind you than in front of you. One time Jesus was stopped by this guy named Blind Bartimaeus, and he was yelling and screaming for Jesus to pay attention to him. He's saying, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus goes over to him and says, What do you want me to do for you? Well, everybody had to be thinking, Duh, he's blind. (laughs) Jesus knew he was blind. He just wanted to hear the guy's dream. And he looked at Jesus and he said, I want to see. But when is the last time you articulated your dreams? Look, I came to Seacoast this weekend to tell you to dream dreams for God. You, you can tell when somebody's a dreamer. You, you can tell if, if you're in a relationship with somebody, if you're married to somebody, or if you have, if you have friends, you cool friends, you can tell when they're dreaming and when they're not dreaming. You can tell it from up close, and you can tell it from a long ways away. Uh, Joseph uh, was walking from a distance, and his brothers looked at each other in the Bible, and they said, look, the dreamer is coming. Are you dreaming? You know, the Bible says to dream, to lift up your eyes and see. It even says, blessed is the pure in heart, for they, they will see God. God has a plan for us, and He would love for us to be able to see. If you don't have a dream then your life is so frustrating. Going to work every day and going home to the same house, same car, same people, and you're bored. You run to the store, you stop at traffic lights, and they figure this out. The average person lives 70 years in their life, and they know that you're going to be at work 20-something years of your life, sleeping 20-something years of your life. They know you're going to be at Walmart six months out of your life. Is that crazy or what? You're going to be at traffic lights for four months out of your life. Without a dream, that's your life. You go to work, you sleep, run the wall, march, stop at a light. Get up the next day, do it again. But when God gives you a dream, it could be the same routine, and it's not the same routine. The only thing really that changed around was the dream. Another thing that I've noticed about people that allow God to encourage them, it allows confidence in your approach to other people. Hebrews thirteen six says, So we say with confidence... I don't know if you say this, but you can say this. The Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? I don't know where you are on this scale, if we were to measure it out, but on the scale of intimidation of other people. But I want to say a lot of things that God will present to us to do that are really cool and powerful, the success that is attached to it. It can't happen if you're intimidated. Do you know how many people have never restored a relationship because they were intimidated to make the phone call? How many songs were never published because they were intimidated somebody would laugh at it? Uh, how, many, how, many things, how many things are just on hold because of fear? Christianity becomes a blast whenever you decide that you're not going to walk around intimidated by other people. The, the best example I have of this is hilarious, but uh, years ago... I was a professional golfer for two years on the mini tours, and I never made the PGA Tour. But, but I was playing a lot of golf, in it, and I still like to play. And my game is not as good. But my wife likes to hook me up with, with nice golf courses when, when she can. And she found a way to get me onto this nice track, and it was all these millionaires and, uh, and then me. And I showed up, and there was this one guy who was a billionaire, and they made a mistake at the 
uh, tea box counter where they give you your time. And, uh, and they said, this is your group. And they put me with a billionaire and two millionaires. And I walked over, and I know how the billionaire got his money. I mean, this dude was aggressive, aggressive. But he and I became friends. But I walked up, and he said, what do you want, boy? And I said, well, I think I'm supposed to play golf with you all. That's what they said. He said, you ain't supposed to play with us. Get back over there and tell them that you're wrong. <laughs> and I said, I said, well, I'm here now. Let me play. He said, you don't want to play with us. You're scared. I said, dude, I'm not scared. Yeah, you are. I can tell by looking at you. I said, I'm not scared. He said, you want to gamble? And I was thinking, man, I should take him for a million and repent on the way home. That's what I was thinking. That's what I was thinking. I didn't do that, but I'm stupid for not doing it. I, I actually just said, no, I don't want to gamble like an idiot. And he said, well, you're scared. That's why you don't want to. I said, man, I'm not scared. He said, all right, hit. So I hit, and he was telling these jokes that were perverted, and he was... He was just out there. He was using God's name in vain. I can handle just about anything, but God's name in vain kind of goes through me. Uh, one time I was at the Circle K and somebody dropped a bag of ice. And he, Jesus Christ. And I just couldn't resist. I said, come on, bro, leave Jesus out of it. Man. You can say Buddha or something, but don't say Jesus. And when, when I got to the checkout line, the guy said, that Buddha thing you said, I like that a lot. That was funny. That's because you're a Hindu, dude. That's why. So anyway, he was cussing, and it's a long story, but we ended up walking down the fairway together, and he looked at me like only the most aggressive person that ever sucked there on the planet could, and he said, boy, are you a Christian? I said, yes, sir. He said, then shut up and listen to me. And I said, well, what's that? He said, are you a preacher? I said, yes, sir. He said, I told you to shut up. It's hard, it's hard to answer uh, this guy. And he said, listen, boy, when I was a young man, God called me in the ministry. You hear me? He said, and I made the wrong decision, boy. He said, you made the right one. You hear me? Yeah, shut up, boy. <laughs> so he said, but God's been messing with me lately. Will you pray with me? He looked around to make sure nobody was looking and and uh, it's really hard to pray with somebody when, when they won't let you talk. So I tried to work that out in the contract, you know. Can I, can I speak? Yes. So I led him to the Lord right there. On the 18th green, he looked at everybody. He said, everybody, see that boy over there? And he pointed at me. He said, I like him. And I was just kind of standing there all cocky. He said, he led me to Christ back there. That joke I was telling y'all, y'all shut up about that. Y'all get in the car and leave. You two boys, shut up and y'all get out of here. When I got back, I was thinking, you know, about this whole deal. And I'm so thankful that I, I wasn't intimidated. God wanted that man. God had a plan for that man. You know, I was thinking about the rich young ruler later on, the rich young ruler who went to the Lord with excitement, but he walked away depressed. We don't know where this rich young ruler got his name. Look it up. We don't know where he got his money. We don't know where he went. All we know is that he was discouraged. Uh, maybe someone later on who was not intimidated by that young man who grew older, maybe he found his way. But God would like to give you confidence where you're not intimidated by other people. Here's one that I came to talk about. Uh, it allows confidence to be sincere towards him. Everybody listening in, every campus and everybody here, think about that word sincerity. I'm going to go ahead and broadcast as clear as I can that many of you, including me, we have this false gift. 
I don't know any other way to describe it. But we're good at faking our relationship with God. And it's keeping us from being encouraged by Him. Look, my story on that is different than yours. I don't expect them to measure up. But when I was in Bible school, they taught us, they still do this sometimes, but they taught us that in ministry, you have to uh, fake it every day, that you can never act like you're having a bad day, that if your marriage is not going well, you have to like, act like it is, always act like you're healthy and happy and, and, uh, and never you know, open up that if you get close to people, you know, it's touch not the anointing and familiarity breeds problems and, and all that stuff and sit on the stage and stay away from people and do not ever let them into your life. And, and I'm very relational. And I remember when I was in Bible school, I was thinking, man, I'm not going to have any friends. I'm not going to have one friend. But I bought into it. I thought, they're teaching this. They must know. That's the way you do ministry. So I went out and I was doing life. Well, my wife and I, we've had a great marriage all these years, but our first year, it stunk, man. And one day she said something to me that I didn't like. And before I knew it, out of my heart, I yelled out, shut up, Michelle, just like that. Said way louder. Man, I highly recommend that you never tell your wife that ever because it hurts them. Well, that night I had to speak. I was on staff of this very large church and I was gearing up for that. And uh, so I went into my office and I was praying, trying to get ready, but uh, I felt a disconnect. And so I asked God to forgive me and I still felt it. I said, I knew what I needed to do. So I went in there and I told Michelle, I said, Michelle, and it was hard for me to do because it's hard, still very hard for me to admit I'm wrong. Uh, sometimes in the bed at night, I'll know I need to apologize to my wife and her hand is right there next to mine. And I, I can't reach it. It's like it's a million miles away. Uh, this has been a problem all of my life. So I went in and I looked at her and I said, Michelle, I'm sorry. And as soon as I did, she broke and she cried. And we made out and made up and made out and made up. It was awesome. All right, I'm just telling you the truth. So then I went back into my, my, my office. And then I felt like the Lord. I didn't hear God call an audible on this. But this is the way it went down for me. You can just figure out how it came came about but i felt like the lord wanted me to in fact i think he was telling me to tell the whole church what had happened i didn't want to do it i, I even looked at him and said lord i can't tell them that's not how you do ministry you, you need to go to bible school <laughs> they, they don't, that's not how you do it and so i decided not to i wrote a totally different sermon halfway through it i realized it wasn't going well and so I finally just said to everybody, I said, this isn't going very good, is it? And everybody simultaneously said, no, it's not. <laughs> and I said, let me tell you why. And I put my notes in my Bible. And I described to them what, it just, what I just described to you. And then I looked at Michelle and I said, babe, I'm sorry about that. I, I don't plan on talking to you like that ever again. Will you forgive me? When I said all that, can I just be honest with you? I thought it was over for me. But it actually all started for me then. So many of us were good at faking. It's killing us. I still didn't buy into the whole authentic ministry approach until one day my wife and I were counseling with this girl and it was a major mistake I made here. For a hundred hours we were trying to counsel with her and one day when I was ministering to her, I, I looked at her and I said, I said, I don't know if you want to be helped. You're depressed, but I don't know if you really want to be helped. It seems like maybe you just want to hang out with Michelle and I. And she said, oh, really? 
And that girl drove home and she committed suicide. I mean, I got to be honest with you. I, I killed that girl. I had to work through that a long time. But there was another story that relates more to you. And that is, I found out through all that that I was very good at faking my relationship with God because no one, including my wife, knew that that destroyed me. I knew when to go to church and when to high five and when to tell a Cajun joke and when to laugh and when to say praise the Lord and when to... And it hit me. And then one day I realized if I fake my relationship with God, my kids are going to end up doing it and they're going to have a veil between their face and God too. And I don't want that. I believe that God would love for us to have just enough encouragement to be sincere towards Him. And then the last thing, it allows confidence to be encouraging as well. This is the last point. But look at this verse in Hebrews 10, 24. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more. Look, don't be a part of Seacoast Church. This is the healthiest church that I know of in the world. I mean, this place is solid. Don't do life on an island. Get involved. If 50% of you get involved in the, the, the city side of it and the small group side of it and the vision side of it, then only 50% of what God really wants to do can happen. But if all of you say, all right, God wants to encourage you so you can encourage other people. Why? Because God's people are discouraged, man. I learned this uh, one night in the middle of the night. Uh, my daughter decided she was going to run away from home. She was four years of age. She saw a Hallmark movie. And, uh, and the girl ran away. And she's a very ambitious young lady, always has been. And she said, well, cool, I'm going to run away. So she packed her wagon up with diapers for her little brother and dolls for herself, Skittles, M&Ms. You got to have that to run away. And then, then she loaded it. She woke up my little bro- her little brother at two, 2 in the morning or 1 in the morning, whenever it was, and he was too tired to wake up. So he said, no, you go on without me. So she went out. She grabbed the wagon, walked out of the cul-de-sac, right down the end of the street, took a right, another street, took another right, then a left, went down to a four-lane highway and a mile and a half down the four-lane highway in the middle of the night while Michelle and I are sleeping. She's walking down the road and a lady saw her, pulled over and said, young lady, what are you doing? I'm running away from home. She said, well, I think you need to go back home, get in the car and I'll take you back. She said, I'm not allowed to ride in the car with strangers. <laughs> like you're allowed to pull a wagon on the four-lane highway in the middle of the night. So this lady couldn't get her in the car. So this lady followed behind her in the car as my daughter pulled the wagon all the way back to our home, kissing the doll every now and then, and then right back to the house. It was a knock on the door in the middle of the night. I didn't know what that was, and I heard this noise, and Heard it again. I finally said, Michelle, what is that? She goes, I think somebody's knocking at the door. I said, go check and see who it is. <laughs> so we went down together. It could happen. It could happen. So we went down together and my daughter was there and I figured out everything that was happening. Okay, here's what I've learned from that. If my daughter would have never come home, I would still be looking for her. I would have never moved to Arkansas. I would have stayed in Louisiana. Every time the phone would ring, I would want to know, is that my daughter calling? I would run to the phone. I'd be the first one to answer every phone call. Every time there was a knock at the door, I would be the first one at the door. I would choose my friends based on who was helping me find her. I'm going to tell you something right now that happens immediately 
whenever you allow God to encourage you, is that you start looking for hurting people. Because you're receiving it and you want to give it away. Lift up your eyes and see the harvest. Don't say in four more months, but do it right now because it is ripe. People are hurting and we can be great encouragers if we allow God to encourage us. If you believe that, give the Lord a hand. Come on right now. Come on, everybody. You can do better than that. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. God is good. Let me pray for you just for a second. Lord, I know that there are some people that are around here right now. They've lost their confidence in their approach to you. And their dreams have gotten off track. And, but Lord, I just pray right now that everyone will open up their heart, no matter how calloused it is. And during this time of reflection... Lord, I pray that you will show show some weak spots in our lives. Help us be transparent and real. Lord, we're fed up with our lives sometimes, but we're not fed up with you. But it sure is good to know that you're not fed up with us either. Please have your way again in our lives. We want to do something great for you. In Jesus' name.